John 17, verse 17 through 19. Just turn your eyes to it. Here's what it says. This is Jesus praying for his disciples. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself that they would also be sanctified by the truth. Sanctification. What does that word even mean? To be honest, in setting this, I was like, I've heard that word. I feel bad. I'm a pastor. But there's so many of these churchy words that to me just sound so religious. And it's like sanctification. What does that mean? So I've been studying the idea of sanctification because I believe Jesus has called us, his disciples, to be on a sanctified mission. Sanctification, basically, is it's the process of becoming holy. Not in the sense of like, oh, becoming more religious. No, in the sense of becoming more dedicated to Jesus' mission. More set apart for his mission. We are called to so much more in our lives. We are called to so much more than just living to get rich or to get famous or to get money or even to get good grades in school and go to a good college. You are called, as disciples of Jesus, to a mission. And so today, we're going to be talking about that, because you need to understand, you guys are the next generation of disciples. Let's just go through the chapter. John 17, Jesus just said a lot of stuff. We're going to dive into this chapter and just pick it apart, because this is very important stuff for us. The first thing I want us to notice is that the way that God views you is you are God's secure treasure. You need to view yourself that way. This passage is so encouraging if you've ever worried about your salvation. I don't know about you, but I, in different times in my life, have worried about my salvation. I've worried if I was really, truly saved. I've worried if I was going to heaven. And this passage is so encouraging because it shows God's heart for you and me. It shows how he views you. Take a look at verses 9 through 10. Jesus says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those you have given me, those you've given me, for they are yours. And all that's mine is yours, Father, and all that's yours is mine, and I am glorified in them. What Jesus is talking about when he talks about us is he says, Father, they are yours and they are mine. We share in it together. He's talking about us, and it's awesome for those of us who struggled with wanting to belong. Jesus Christ gives us the best place to belong within his family. You know, with God, God's mission, it's always been about people. And th that can be hard for me. It can be hard for me to care about people. Does anyone honestly like other people when you're at Disneyland? Like when you're at Disneyland and there's just crowds of people you're thrashing against to get to your ride and you're standing in rides. Have you ever looked at a line of people and thought, I just love all these people. I just have such a heart of love and compassion for this line of people. No, you're like, I hate these people. Like if literally if they all drop dead so I could get to my ride, that'd be awesome. Maybe you don't think that, but I do because I'm a sinner. When Brooklyn and I go to concerts, I remember there was this one time we went to a concert. Yeah, it was Hanson. I know. Okay, anyway. So we went to a concert, and, and we're standing, and, and we got there early, and it was a standing room only concert, and we found this perfect spot, and we stood there for an hour just keeping our spot. Well, right when the show started, this girl, this really short girl, I don't know why that's important, but she was super short, which made it more annoying for some reason. She, she's like 40, but she's like super short. She comes and she just like thrashes in front of us and pushes us and she goes even further up in front of us. And it's like, 
I don't like you right now, little lady. I'm sorry. But you know what? As much as I don't like people at times, God knew every horrible thing that people would ever do, and he still loved them and died for them. Guys, if we want to be sanctified, if we want to be, remember, sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus. For us to be sanctified, we need to ask God to give us a heart for people. Let's look at verse 12. We're just going to fly through this. There's going to be different things said for different people. If it's for you, receive it. If it's not for you, it still is because it's the Bible. So um, verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus looks at you and he says, you are my masterpiece. You are my treasure. And he views us kind of like the way a shepherd views the sheep. And you can see in the scriptures, there's stories where Jesus would talk about, I don't know if you guys heard at camp, um, Evan Wickham taught a great story on how the shepherd would leave the 99 sheep to go after the one. That was such a killer message. And that heart is the heart that God has for us. He has a whole flock of people. But if you go astray, if you wander off, you need to know that the Lord's not just like, all right, see you later, have fun. When you repent, then we can talk. No, when you're struggling in sin, when you're having issues, the Lord has a heart of a compassionate shepherd and he goes after that lost sheep. The journey is hard, but Jesus is a guardian of his sheep. He loves his sheep. When you get saved... When you give your life to Jesus, not only do you give your life to Jesus, but God hands your life over to Jesus. God gives Jesus responsibility for your life. He gives it to Jesus to say, Jesus, you are responsible for protecting my children. How awesome does that feel? To know that God is responsible for you, that Jesus takes responsibility for you. He says, all of those that you've given me, Father, I have kept. Except one. He talks about Judas. The one that he has lost. He calls him the son of perdition. You see, Jesus looked at all of his disciples and he said, they are mine. But Judas was never truly Jesus's. He never truly belonged to him. And that can kind of freak you out. I would read that verses like that and I'd be like, wow, Judas was one of the 12 disciples. If that happened to him, what about me? Well, the Bible talks about how Judas was the one given over to rebellion, the one given over to destruction. What that means is that he was following Jesus for completely wrong reasons. Why was Judas chosen? Well, the Bible actually says it was to fulfill prophecy, which is fascinating. Now, don't be deceived. Jesus didn't force Judas to betray him, but it is fascinating that Jesus picked someone who he knew would betray him. Here's the thing, though. Judas never was saved because Judas never allowed himself to be sanctified. Judas was with Jesus. Think about this. Judas is one of the 12 disciples. He's with Jesus for three years in the flesh, serving alongside him, feeding the poor, helping people. But the whole time, Judas never really believed that Jesus was the son of God. He never truly believed that Jesus was who he said it was. Judas looked at Jesus and said, this guy is my ticket to fame and fortune. In fact, Judas was stealing from Jesus. He was taking money out of the coin bags. Judas looked at Jesus and thought, this guy is going to overthrow the Romans. This guy is going to be become king. And when he becomes king, then I'll have a seat of power. See, when it comes to Peter and James and John and those disciples, yes, they, they made mistakes and they had false ideas about Jesus. But in the end, they said, you are the son of God and we will follow you. In the end, Judas made the mistake of betraying Jesus. 
He was in Jesus' group, but he was not of it. He was not secure. Now, a lot of times we ask the question, can I lose my salvation? This is a great quote from Chuck Smith, the guy who actually started Calvary Chapel. This is what he says. He says, there's a difference between losing your salvation and leaving your salvation. If you lose something, you don't know where to find it. You can't lose your salvation because you always know where to find it. You can only leave it. So for you guys who are here today, I'll just clear this up and I'll make it really simple. If you are walking with Jesus, if you hold to faith in Jesus, even if you are the worst sinner in this room, which a lot of times I feel like I am, as long as you hold on to your faith in Christ and you ask for forgiveness and you're walking with him, as lo- even if you're sinning, sometimes I've known people, Christians, who've gone through like six-month periods where they're just in rebellion. And it's like, hey, man, you're in sin. Come on. And they're like, you know, I, I, know, I know that I'm sinning, but I just want to do what I want to do. You know what? God's grace is big enough to cover that. That person is going to ruin their life. They're going to create for themselves a hell on earth, but they're still saved as long as they hold on to that faith in Christ. But what happens is when someone gets to the point where they completely reject Jesus, and I have friends like this, friends who went to this school back when it was a school, who eventually said, you know what, I don't believe that stuff anymore. That stuff was just made up. Like all that stuff we learned in Bible class is just a bunch of junk. And then they leave the faith. They don't put their trust in Jesus. They leave. Then they've lost their salvation because they've left it. I hope that makes sense. Hope is something that we can have in the security we have in Christ. I love this quote. The devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. The devil knows your name, but he also knows your sin. And a lot of times he shows up and he says, liar, adulterer, thief, sinner, mess up, mistake. I don't know if you've had those thoughts, but I've had where the enemy shows up and he's speaking in your heart and he's speaking in your mind and you just are so down on yourself and you're just in a pile of your own sin. But Jesus knows your sin and he calls you by your name. And to him, your name is beloved, forgiven, redeemed. Listen, if you're here today and you've messed up and you know you have, and today you just feel like you're in that puddle of sin because the enemy is pushing you down, you need to let the Lord lift you back up because no matter what your sin is, there's no sin big enough that Jesus can't save you from it. The next thing I want us to notice is that Jesus wants us to be of one heart and one mind. But this can be a difficult thing because a lot of times, like we see in this picture, I don't know about you, about you, but I feel like a lot of times my heart and my mind are torn in two a lot of the times. Have you ever in your mind wanted to do something? You're like, I know in my mind it's a good idea to go preach the gospel. I know in my mind it's a good idea to do the dishes for my mom. I know in my mind it's a, it's a good thing to do my homework. But then what do we say? My heart's just not in it. Have you ever said that? My heart's just not in it. So many times our mind and our heart are divided. Let's look at what Jesus has to say about this. Verse 20. He says, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. 
Jesus deeply desires for the church to be one. He wants this youth group to be one. He wa- like so many times in a youth group, there's so many people there for different reasons. You've got someone there because they're like, I really want to study the Bible and I want to know more about God. You've got someone there who's like, yeah, the girls in this youth group are cute. So I'm going to be at this youth group. Ha <laughs> You've got girls who are like, oh, the boys are, you know, they're pretty nice. So I'm going to show up to this youth group because I went to that youth group down the street and all the boys were ugly. You've, you've got that sort of thing going on. <laughs> I've seen that. You've got people who are here because they like the music or they like the teaching. Or you've got people here because, oh, my friends go here. You know, and there's so many different reasons why we come to things. The Lord wants us all to have our hearts in the same place. Yeah, those other reasons make sense. Like you show up where your friends go or where your crush is or wherever. But while you're here, let's get our hearts in the same place. What that means is, what are we here for? Church, church. We are a church. Calvary Vista is a church. The body of Christ, the, the church down the street, Vista Assembly of God, the, the church down the street, Calvary Oceanside, Calvary Carlsbad, like all these other churches. We are the church, the family of God. What are we here for? We're here for love. We're here to understand that God loves us and that he's called us to love others. We're here because we have a mission. And that mission is to reach the lost world. When was the last time we felt like we were all on the same page? When was the last time we felt like we were all in it for the mission? And it makes sense. I mean, in principle, it totally makes sense. You want, like if you're on a sports team, right? Who here is on a sports team? Does the idea of everyone needing to be on the same page for the goal of the mission of winning make sense? Does that make sense? Man, I was the kid everyone hated during sports because I didn't care. I was so unathletic and I acted like I didn't care. The truth was I really cared a lot, but I was so afraid that I'd mess up and that people would be mad at me. I had that fear that if I dropped the ball or if I kicked the wrong thing or if I scored for the wrong team, everyone would hate me. And the girl I had a crush on would just show up to my door and kick me in the face. Like I just, I had all of these fears. And so my, uh, my disguise that I wore during kickball in junior high was, uh, I was just like, you know, I don't, I don't care. I just, whatever. I mean, whoever wins, whoever loses, it just matters that we like went out and tried our best. Is that true? Come on, sports people. No, no. You want to, you want to win. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. And then in an army, okay. Like doesn't everyone need to be on the same page? Like everyone needs to know who are we fighting against? Why are we fighting? No, don't shoot Jim. He's on our side, please. Like let's all be on the same page. We need to have unity, but it's hard to have unity, especially concerning sanctification, because sanctification means commitment. Again, sports people, raise your hand. Anybody who here believes that in sports, you need to have commitment. Raise your hand. If you, yeah, you need to show up on time. You need to do what your coach says. You need to run your drills. You need to work out at home. If you want to be successful, I've man, I I was not good at that. I I did not want sanctification, uh, which again is not the strive for perfection, but the it's, it's working hard to be dedicated to a mission is what sanctification is. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus. I showed up to football practice the first day, Evan Wickham's my coach. He's all, hey, man, time to run. And I was like, no. And I ran away. I didn't, I, I left literally like the first five minutes into football practice in eighth grade. I just, I bailed. I did not want anything to do with it because I did not want the sanctification process of football. I knew 
there'd be good results. If I ran, I would get skinny. I didn't run, so I didn't get skinny. And now I have to take walks and eat granola and like apples and nothing else at 27 years old. If I would have just worked out when I was in junior high, I'd probably look a lot different. Sanctification is something that I avoided. I didn't want to do it. Listen, a guy with a ridiculously hideous mustache named William Jenkin had this to say, there is nothing destroyed by sanctification but that which would destroy us. Just like those nasty calories that are trying to destroy me right now as an adult would have been just wiped out through that sanctification process of running drills in football, so our sin is destroyed as we allow ourselves to be sanctified. As you say, Jesus... Jesus, man, when was the last time you said, Jesus, listen, it's just, I need to do a full inventory check. Just go through my heart and start pointing out sins. Okay, uh, okay, anger, okay, thank you for pointing that out. Lord, I'll work on that. I'm disrespectful my parents. Okay, thank you. Uh, I, I, I'm cheating on my homework and I'm not trying at school. Lord, thank you for pointing that out to me. Lord, I repent. When was the last time we did that? Oh, we don't really do that that often, do we? Because what we want is for people to make us feel good. We want to go to church and have people make us feel light and fluffy instead of actually coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, here's what I'm struggling with. Change me, sanctify me, help me. Here is what Jesus says in verse 11, and I don't have the slide on accident, so I'll just read it to you and you can read it in your Bibles. Verse 11, now I am no longer in the world but those are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm no longer visible. I'm not in the world. But he says in verse 10, if you look back, he says, I am glorified by you. Because you're not in the world, but who still is? Or Jesus isn't in the world, but who is? You. You're in the world. Is Jesus physically walking around your school? Like, that'd be weird. Like, sandals, long hair, beard. No, but you are. And the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ lives in your heart. So God says that he is glorified in you. Last time we taught, uh, we talked about glory being the idea of kavod, heaviness. As you walk around and live a life of Jesus, as you live a life of kindness and generosity and honesty, people look at you and they say, whoa, that's heavy. That's kavod. Glory. There's something different about that man, about that woman. His life is on display on you. Why do some people obsess over their Instagrams? Why do we do it? Why do we obsess over our Instagrams? Why do some people focus so much on the, the photo amount? I can only have six photos at a time. If I ever go beyond six, people will think I'm obsessed with myself. So instead, I'm going to just obsess over how many photos I have for hours and hours and hours. Only six. Oh, seven. Delete. It's too much. I don't want people to be overloaded by my beauty. Some people obsess over, like, color coordination. All of my photos must be black and white. If anything else happens, if any color photos come in, I'll be so lame and mainstream. It's got to be black and white because people know I'm serious. Hardcore. Some people are color coordinated. Here's the, here's the reason. The reason we obsess over our Instagram accounts and Snapchats is because we feel like it represents us. It's like, oh, that is my representation to the world. When people see that, they see me for who I want them to think I am. So we care about it. Well, think about this way. How much do we care about the way we represent ourselves? How much more does Jesus care about how we represent him? I have a question. High school kids. Are any of you guys sixth graders in here? No. Would oh okay so Sophie you've been lying this whole time crazy so 
How many of you guys, by show of hands, would feel super chill and comfortable about handing over all of your social media accounts to a sixth grader? Oh, nobody? Okay, oh, maybe Kobe. (laughs) Yeah, you would not be like, oh, okay, middle schooler, like, here's my password, here's my login, just post whatever you think would be great. And also, here's all the photos on my phone, just post whichever one you think would be great. No, that would be horrendous. We wouldn't want that sixth grader representing us. But how much more do we misrepresent Jesus? Like, don't you want Jesus to have confidence that you're representing them the right way? But so many times, when we lie and steal and cheat, when we're hateful, when we say horrible things, when we lie to our parents, when we're disrespectful to our teachers, when we lust, when we're angry, when we're violent, man, we're we're supposed to be the representation of Jesus in the world. And people look at us, and it's like a sixth grader is running around with Jesus' social media account. It's not good. We need to have Jesus' heart in mind, but so many times we don't. Sanctification is opening yourself up to letting him constantly change your heart and mind. It's getting on the same page with Jesus. But often we just want to do our own thing. I want to show you guys a video of someone who wanted to do their own thing. This is a drummer during a worship service playing a song we all know and love, Oceans. This drummer is just so bold. He just wants to go his own way. Let's see how it goes. All upon you. Keep my eyes above the waves When oceans rise My soul will rest in your embrace For I am yours And you All right, so for those of you guys who just walked in, we've actually been watching that for the last 20 minutes. Um, That's what happens when we try to go our own way. Like, that clip is way longer. Look look up a worst worship drummer, and it's, like, so long. It's so awkward. This lady and the guitarist are just trying to play and sing, and the drummer's just doing, like, 15-minute guitar or drum solo. That'd be weird if a drummer was doing a guitar solo at the same time. This is what happens, though. Listen, as the body of Christ, we're called to work together for the cause of the gospel. We're called to work together. But when we try to go our own way, that's what we're doing. I want to show you guys an amazing video that shows us what happens when people come together. This is a video of children younger than you who all came together and practiced and worked on their musical ability to create something beautiful. This video, to me, is a great example of what the body of Christ, what young people can do when they all set their heart and mind on the same thing. So let's watch this video.
it. Preserve our animals and plants and humankind as well so that our future generations can have a story to tell. Protect us from evil and spread the word of good. Of peace, love, justice, virtue, and brotherhood. Cause we only have one earth and we can't waste our motherland. So let's move out from force. I think it's time to take a stand. So rad, right? So good. It gets better. Go, go look it up. It's amazing. It's, it's so good. It's so good. That's a great example of what people can do when they all have their heart and mind on the same thing. These kids came together and they all said, we're going to put our hearts and minds together to make this great song. And obviously, they didn't just do it by themselves. Um, I think the guy's name is Mani Batan or something like that. But he was the guy who orchestrated everything. And so these kids were looking at the guy who was directing them, their, their leader, who helped them and guided them all to get on the same page. Now, you can see the correlation. Guys, for us... If you all set your hearts and minds on Jesus, if you all, if everyone in this room would spend time with Jesus throughout the week and ask, God, here I am, send me, what do you have for me? Then our hearts and minds would be linked together because we would be going to the source. Imagine what this group could do if we had the same heart and mind as Jesus with welcoming new people. When new people come in the door, instead of just sitting with our cliques and just not engaging, going and saying, hey, welcome, like welcome to our family, like welcome to, to this group. We're so excited you're here. What if this group, what if we all got in the same heart and mind about serving, not just here in the youth group, but at home? What if we all got in together? What if you guys got together and you said, hey, like, are you going to help your mom and dad this week with the chores? Has anyone here ever asked their friends that? Sounds super awkward, right? Like, that's not a question people ask. What if we did? Like, what, hey, are you going to help your mom and dad? I'm going to help my mom and dad this week. Like, let's, let's help and let's pray and let's talk about it. What if we all got on the same page with mission? Which is, man, Lord, we want to go out and we want to preach the gospel. Not just whenever Aaron takes us out on a Saturday morning, but we in our schools. Like, let's, hey, let's pray before school. We got school tomorrow. Let's call on the phone. Let's text. Let's pray. And let's say, you know, Lord, even though I go to this school and you go to that school, Lord, we're going to tomorrow, dedicate tomorrow to at least talking to one person about Jesus. See, when you're doing things alone, you feel like a Lone Ranger Christian. You can't get anything done. But when you have the support of having one heart in mind. Man, that's been my prayer for so many of you guys for such a long time that your friendships would be one where you encourage one another, where you point people to the Lord. What if we all were on the same page with invitation, inviting people? What if we all were on the same page with accountability, holding one another accountable? So many times it's easy to overlook your friend's sin because you don't want to hurt the relationship. What if we were all on the same page with authenticity? being open and honest about Jesus? What if we all said, we're not going to talk during this message to one another, but we're going to pay attention? What if we did that? That'd be so cool. Um, Okay, so um, the third thing we want to notice is God has called us to be in the world, not of it. Being sanctified for God's mission means being in the world, not of it. Can an astronaut go on a Mars mission without actually going to Mars? No, they can't. Absolutely not. They have to go to Mars, but what do they keep on? His helmet. You keep your helmet on, okay? Think about it. You can go to Mars. Like, for for a missionary to actually do his mission to Mars, he has to go to Mars. He has to be like, oh, I'm in Mars now. Sweet. Different atmosphere. But you don't take off your helmet. You're in Mars, but you're not of Mars. If you were like, I'm just going to become a Martian. I'm going to take off my spacesuit and my helmet. I'm going to become one with Mars. 
you die, right? You run out of oxygen. For the same way, us as Christians, we're called to be in the world, but not of it. God did not call you to just be like, I need to homeschool forever and never talk to anyone. If you're here and you're homeschooling, I'm, I'm not trying to offend you. But I'm just saying, for those of you guys who are in public schools, the Lord's not saying, you need to homeschool and live in a bunker and never talk to anyone who's not a Christian. And don't even talk to your Christian friends because they're probably not Christian. Only talk to your mom and dad. And make sure you only watch movies with Kirk Cameron in it. Oh, you guys got that joke. That's awesome. Um, We are called to be on mission. We're called to be in the world. God wants you in your schools. God wants you in your neighborhoods. He wants you on the teams that you're in. It's not coincidence that you're on the sports team that you're on right now. It's not coincidence that you're on the cheer team you're on right now. That is divine providence. That's God leading you to your mission field where you're called to be in the world, but not of it. Here's what that means. You're on the team. You're with the team. You're, you're loving your team and you're helping your team. You're supporting your team and you're being a, the best example of Jesus to your team. But when your team starts cracking dirty jokes, you don't get involved with that because you're in the world, but you're not of it. You bring life to your team through your love and action. Not by being some stuck-up Christian where when your team starts swearing or your friends start swearing, you're like, Ew, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to go tell my mom, mother. Like, <laughs> that's not what we're called to do. <laughs> we are called, like, seriously, when people around me, when, when, I, when I'm around my friends and they, they just start dropping F-bombs and stuff, I just, it doesn't phase me. I'm, I'm like, sinners are going to sin. Like, I'm not surprised. I love these guys. I want to hang out with them. Now, if I start dropping F-bombs when, you know, when you guys aren't around and I'm just at home dropping F-bombs, like, no, that, that, that's lame. I'm not going to do that because I know for me, I want to avoid sin, anything that corrupts my heart. What I want to do is I want to be around these guys who are just cursing and dropping dirty jokes and just, I want to be around them and showing them what a person who loves God looks like. And I've had several situations where guys like that have ended up turning to Christ because of it. We're called to be in the world, but not of it. In verse 13, Jesus says, I now come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. God wants your joy to be full. He wants it to be complete. What does that mean? He wants it to be like it was back in Eden, in the garden, when God and man had complete access to one another. And God wants to do that in so many people's lives. Some of you are here today, and God wants to bring you joy. John Piper has this great quote. He says, we make a God out of whatever we find the most joy in. So find your joy in God and be done with all idolatry. So many times we're trying to fill our hearts with things that give us false joy, that rob us of the true joy of Jesus Christ. In verse 14, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. The world hates God's word. Why? Because people hate rebels. Seriously. Like again, remember me on the kickball team. I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to try because who cares? It doesn't matter. People weren't like, oh, we love you. I'm going to pick you first for dodgeball and kickball. No, I was picked last because people hate when you rebel against the system. Jesus' disciples were not of the world. They refused to join the world's system. The world said, Jesus, we want to make you king, violent king, sword king. Go and stab Nero in the face and take over the Roman Empire king. That's what they wanted. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to be a part of your system. 
The Pharisees said, Jesus, become our greatest teacher. They're like, Jesus, you're, you're twisting people with your words, but we could use you. Come join us. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to be a part of your system. I threw it on the ground. Right? Anybody? Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to be a part of your worldly system. Jesus said, I don't want to just sit in the synagogue and teach the word of God. I want to do the word of God. I want to be the word of God. In verse 15, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Again, you're not called to leave the world, but you're called to fight in it. And it's hard to fight because what it means is we die daily. We die to ourselves. It's hard to die to yourself. You wake up in the morning. Who's the first person you care about? Who's ever like woken up in the morning and been like, I want to feed the orphans in Africa. No one. You're like, what do I look like? And you go to the mirror. I look hideous. I need to fix this. This is going to take 45 minutes. Like that's <laughs> ladies. Um, guys are just like, sure. I'm ready. Oh yeah. Pants. Gotta put those on. <laughs> It's hard. It's hard to die to yourself because we care the most about ourselves. Matt Chandler has this great quote on sanctification. He says, the secret that no one wants to talk about around sanctification is that it hurts. Sanctification hurts. It stings. It's a constant process of being exposed for less than you think you are so that you might repent and become all that God would have you to be. This is so good. It's a heart of repentance that we need. You know what I see so much in today's world? People sin, and then they're just like, LOL, sorry about that. You know, I'm just the work in progress. The Lord's still working on me. You know, I just, I got a lot of work to do. Sorry. And then they just go on being a jerk to people. And then they justify, and they're just like, you know, I'm just, I'm a a WIP, work in progress. I'm a whip. I'm a whip. That's what people say. We need to have a humble heart of repentance. That means when you mess up, you don't go, sorry about that, sorry. You, you ever, like, have you ever seen people like that where it's like they don't give real apologies? It's like a non-apology? Like where someone messes up and it's just like, it's almost like they make you feel like the jerk for calling it out. <laughs> sorry. It's not a real sorry. We need to have a humble heart of repentance. When you mess up, man, this is the hardest thing. Like just like real talk right now for a high school student and even, yes, for an adult husband. I don't, I don't know if Bobby feels this way. Uh, he's the other husband in the room, but I feel this way. When my wife comes to me and tells me that I mess up, like my initial reaction is not like, forgive me, Brooklyn, for I have sinned. And I get on the ground. I just start like, forgive me. And I'm like sobbing and weeping. My initial reaction when I'm called out for my sin, is just like, sorry, like, I'm sorry I offended you. Like I can be a real jerk sometimes. And I know for you guys, when your parents call you out, when your friends call you out, when your teachers call you out, that initial gut reaction is just like, how dare you? Like, how dare you accuse me of wrong? How dare you get in my face? Like, you've got your own issues. You've got your own problems. For sanctification to actually work, we need to have a heart of humility. And guys, I am working on this every day because a lot of times I don't. I've seen so much that when my wife comes to me and says, I've done something wrong, It's the times where I care more about her feelings than trying to defend myself and trying to justify my own problems. It's the times where I actually go, I love my wife. And so if she thinks this is a big deal, then I need to think this is a big deal. I'm so sorry that I hurt your feelings by doing that. It's those moments where sanctification happens and I become more like Jesus. 
But just like me, your flesh is fighting against it all the time. Some of you guys feel me. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe today, this morning, on the way to the church, your mom said something to you. And it's just, like, why are you saying this? Listen, sanctification, it hurts. It's painful. But it's worth it. Open yourself up to what God wants to do in your life. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just like I am not of the world. Jesus says we are not defined by the world. What the world is, like, listen, the world is not like planet Earth, the globe. That's not what it's talking about. Um, a lot of people say, you know, oh, you know, uh, we're, we're not of this world. Not of this world, you know. Heaven is our home. I was made for heaven, not Earth. If that's true, then what the heck were Adam and Eve made for? <laughs> Where did God put them? Earth. What was the plan? Like, ten years on Earth and then they go up to the clouds? No. So Earth has always been really important. Heaven has always been really important. Heaven and earth were made together. There there was a connection, and sin ripped that apart. So for you to not be of the world doesn't mean like, I just need to hide out from everything in this world. I can't go see any movies. I can't listen to any music. I can't talk to anybody. I just got to wait till I go up to heaven. No, you're called to be in the world, but not of the worldly system, not of the satanic system of sin. Satan wants to own you. That's the thing. He wants to own you. And I see so many young people get sucked into sin thinking, this is who I really am. They grow up in a Christian home, then they start sinning and they say, oh, this feels really good. This is who I've always been. This is who I've always wanted to be. If you believe that today, it's a lie from the enemy. You were made for so much more than sin. So much more than the mud that is sin. You were made for glory. You were made for so much more. In fact, for anyone here who feels like maybe you're doing sin right now, maybe you're involved, not just sin like we all go through every day, but you're just living in some sin right now, and you don't want to give it up. You don't want to give it up. You don't want to be sanctified. You don't want to give yourself over to that transformation of Jesus. If that's you today, I just want to share this quote with you. This is from J.I. Packer. He says, The deepest word that can be spoken about sanctification is that it is a progress towards true humanity. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but honestly, when you're living in sin, you are not living into the true humanity you're called into. It's like being a bird with no wings, right? And you're just hopping around, and you wish you could fly, and you're looking at all the birds that can fly. When you are a human who is living in sin without the Holy Spirit. There's no wind in your sails, and you're wondering why, even though I'm sinning, why is there still this emptiness? Why does it not truly satisfy? Why every time I do it, does it not truly fulfill, and there's a hole in my heart bigger than before? It's because you're not truly being human. You're not truly living into the humanity that God made you to be. Verse 18 Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Guys, Jesus got a mission, we got a mission. And it's the same mission. Think of it. Jesus was sent from heaven to earth. We are on earth, but our hearts are towards the heavenly kingdom of God. And so as we are on our way to that day when God brings the heavenly kingdom here to earth. Yeah, read Revelation. We go to heaven, but then in the end, the world is restored. New heaven, new earth. We live on an earth, and there's a heavenly kingdom here on earth, and Jesus is king, and everything's great. That's the goal. No more war, no more death, no more poverty, no more sickness. The goal is heaven. 
It's going to be awesome. So as we're on that path and we go through this life and it's hard, the goal is mission. I got to bring every single person I can with me. And there's so many people at your schools who haven't heard the gospel. The goal is to get the gospel to them so that they can join you on the journey. This is what Oswald Chambers says. Very creepy looking dude. Very creepy looking. A lot of creepy looking dudes with quotes, but their quotes are good. Um, Maybe just hold your hand up so that it covers his face and then just look at the quote. Um, He says, sanctification means more than being freed from sin. It means the deliberate commitment of myself to the God of my salvation and being willing to pay whatever it may cost. Being willing to pay whatever it may cost. If you completely give yourself to the mission of Jesus, it will cost you a lot. For me, it was giving up dreams of going to Hollywood and going to film school and, and writing screenplays and being an actor and a director. I had to at one, I, I clung to that for a while. I even got involved in a little business in Carlsbad where I was making movies. And, and eventually the Lord just said, you got to give it all up. You got to lay it all down because I'm calling you to serve me. Now listen, that doesn't mean all of you guys have to work in a church and give up whatever your dreams are. God may be giving you the same dreams you have to go to those colleges or get into that line of work. Not every Christian is called to work in a church, but every Christian is called to be the church and to serve Jesus with their lives. And this is what I just realized you guys would get because so many of you guys are like, oh man, I mean, Jesus in church is great, but like, I've got other stuff I want to do. No, no, no. God wants to use you as you go and do that other stuff. God wants to use you in your schools and colleges and on your teams and in your careers. Follow the dreams as God leads you and then let God make your dreams into even better dreams. It's like Ben Corson says, secondhand dreaming, secondhand smoke. You hang around someone, oh, secondhand smoke. Hang around God, you'll get that secondhand dreaming. You'll get his dreams for you. Here's the final thing I want to talk about as we wrap up. We need to be sanctified by truth. So Jesus says, verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I think one of the best examples we see in the Bible of someone being sanctified by the truth. What does that mean? Sanctified by the truth. What's the truth? Oh, well, uh, the Bible? Yeah, yeah, the Bible is the word of God. But who is also the word of God? Anybody? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. Who's God? Jesus. Get it out of your mind that it's just like, oh, I just got to read my Bible and pray every day. Open up to some random verse. Oh, this verse. Oh, I guess my life has changed now. It's not about random Bible verses. It's about you understanding who Jesus is and the story of the Bible. That's why I'm, I used to be just like, oh man, I got to read my devotions. Oh, I guess I got to do it because it's the church thing to do. Guys, now that I understand that I am called to serve alongside Jesus with his mission and that he has had a plan for humanity since day one and he doesn't want me just to be a good person and die and go to heaven, but he's called me to be a force of heaven here on earth, just like he's called you, to bring God's goodness and glory and holiness and righteousness into the world through love and kindness and obedience and faithfulness. Guys, man, one of the best examples of this is Daniel. You guys know the story, everyone? Daniel in the lion's den, who knows it? Daniel in the lion's den. Okay, Daniel. Daniel was committed to holiness. He was set apart for a purpose. Now, this is before Jesus, but Daniel knew his purpose. It was to follow God and to be a light in the darkness. He was committed to holiness. What happens? Daniel gets captured as a young man. He gets taken to Babylon. 
and he gets thrown before the king of Babylon. And the king says, Daniel, you're a young Jewish man. I want to make you into a Babylonian. I want to give you the haircut, the clothes. I want to change you into my culture. So he gives him a banquet, Daniel and all his friends. He gives him all this meat and all this wine and all this, these women. Brings it out before him. You know what Daniel says? Not going to do it. Not going to touch anything from your table, king. In the Bible, at the time, the Torah, uh, in the Bible, at the time, it only said, don't eat meat that wasn't offered to idols. We don't know if that was the case. Daniel goes overboard. He, he, he looks at the meat, and we don't know if it was offered to idols or not. He just says, no, no food and no wine from the king's table. He kind of goes overboard. You might call him a legalist. Like, Daniel, isn't that legalistic? Here's the thing. Remember, Daniel ends up being the most trusted person in the kingdom. Notice, he doesn't force anyone else to do it. Daniel's not like, listen, I say a new word from the Lord. No one can drink any wine ever. No one can ever eat meat that comes from a king's table. That's, that's not what Daniel was doing. He wasn't being legalistic. He was following the convictions of the Holy Spirit for him in that moment. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit said, Daniel... I don't want you eating from the king's table, probably because the Holy Spirit didn't want Daniel to be reliant on the king, but on the spirit. He didn't want him, the Holy Spirit convicted Daniel not to drink the wine from the king's table, not because wine is bad, but because probably the Holy Spirit knew that if Daniel got involved at the king's table drinking wine, he'd get sucked into the drunken parties that happened at the king's table. So Daniel follows the convictions of the Holy Spirit to make himself set apart. He follows the truth. The truth is when God speaks to you through his spirit. So many times we are focused on what can I get away with? What can I get away with? What, what can I do? I hear that so many times. Well, is this a sin? Well, what about this? I mean, that's not technically a sin. You ever asked that before? I've definitely asked questions like that. We ask what is sin? What is technically not a sin? We find loopholes so that we can do what we want to do. Daniel is different. He's not looking at what can I get away with. He's saying, what can I get rid of to make myself more set apart, more sanctified for God's kingdom? Whatever his reasons, we know that Daniel was committed to his mission. Our mistake is that we aren't often committed to the mission. We value personal freedom over holiness. The mission is not the place to put freedom over being set apart. Do you have areas in your life that are sin? Or areas in your life that are even gray areas where you're like, I'm not sure this is a sin. It might be, it might not. Some of you right now may be thinking as I'm talking, you might be feeling something and you might be wondering like, is this, is this conviction from the Holy Spirit or is Aaron just being legalistic and like, is this some churchy religious thing and he's just some kind of guilt trip? Listen, listen, first just, just ask Right now, you're all going through different things. You're all going through different struggles. Maybe there's things where you're wondering, is this a sin? Is this not a sin? Here's a question that you can ask. Just ask this question. Is this activity that I'm doing something that I would want Jesus to do with me if he was here? Right? So you're with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and you want to do something. And maybe you're like, well, it's not quite as bad as that, so it's okay. Well, if Jesus was sitting next to you, would you be comfortable doing that? I don't know. You tell me. There's a movie you want to see, or an album you want to listen to, or a website you want to go to, and Jesus is sitting right next to you. Is he going to be cool with it? You're, you're about to open your mouth and say something to your mom. If Jesus is standing there, is he stoked on what you're saying to your mom? I don't know. We need to ask the question. Would Jesus, if he was here, would he want me to copy this homework? Would he want me to text that photo? Would he want me to smoke that joint? 
Would he want me to listen to that album? If the answer is no, if you ask that question honestly and the answer is no, well, then there you have your answer. If the answer is not sure, you know, I'm not sure, it's black and white, err on the side of holiness over personal freedom. Again, holiness is not perfection. It's not, oh, what's the list of rules? No, it's what can I get rid of in my life to make myself more set apart for God's mission? For me to get rid of my dreams to go to Hollywood, that's not like, oh, Hollywood is a sin and being a Christian making movies is a sin. No. But for me, the Holy Spirit convicted me that that's what I needed to do. And so I was making myself more holy, not because I was making myself less sinful, but because I was making myself more set apart. God is calling you to holiness, to be more set apart for his mission. What can you give up for him today? To be more set apart, is, it's the way of Daniel and it's the way of Jesus. I don't think anyone is going to show up to heaven and say, man, I wish I watched Game of Thrones. You know? I don't think anyone's going to show up to heaven and be like, man, I wish I listened to more Drake albums. I don't think anyone's going to show up to heaven and say, man, I wish I watched more sex comedy movies about hot dogs. There's a movie out right now about hot dogs. It's horrible. Anyway, no one's going to be saying that. No one's going to be like, what am I? No. You know what people are going to be saying? When people get to heaven, they're not going to say, I wish I did that sinful thing. They're going to say, holy shnikes, the presence of God is unbelievable. There's joy with no filter. There's peace with no limit. There's pleasure that never runs out. This was available for me while I was on earth, and I traded it for that thing that I wanted to do? Right? What the heck was I thinking? That's what I think all the time. What the heck was I thinking? Will there be grace and mercy for sin in heaven? Yes, thank the Lord. I need it. But does that mean that you and I are currently missing out on the life that God has for us if we're given to sin? Yes. Yes, it does. We need the truth. So as we go into our small groups and we have about 15, 20 minutes of discussion, I just want to remind you guys that God loves you. And he's given you his word as truth. Are you reading the Bible because it's a chore? Or are you reading it because it's the story of the God who loves you? And the more you read that story, the more your heart becomes linked with God and his mission. The more you become of one heart and mind with Jesus. Really, really quick, I, I just want to read something. Look, look at verse 19. Jesus talks about sanctification. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. That's the reality, guys. We're called to be sanctified. We're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart. Jesus was the ultimate at this. Because what did he do? He sanctified himself. How did he do it? Remember, so like, again, sanctification, just in case you missed it, it's the process of becoming more holy, Right? Can Jesus ever become more spiritual? Can Jesus ever become more godly? No, he can't. But Jesus talks about sanctifying himself. Get it, get it. Sanctification is not becoming a better person. It's not becoming, it's not becoming less sinful. It's not becoming a more perfect churchy kid. It's just becoming more set apart for God's mission. Jesus said he sanctified himself. Jesus can't make himself any more spiritual. So what he did, what that means is he made himself set apart for the mission. He's in heaven, 
in glory, where he's worshipped, where he's praised, where everyone loves him, where he has ultimate power. What does he do? He sets himself apart for the mission. He becomes holy, set apart for the mission. He comes to earth where he's spit on, cursed. His beard is ripped out. He's crucified on a Roman cross and suffocated to death. Why did he do it? For the mission. Because he loves you and he loves me. We are called to be sanctified. Ask yourself today, how can I be sanctified? Let's pray. Lord, I just want to ask that you would speak to hearts today. Maybe there's someone here, Lord, who feels insecure in their salvation. They wonder, am I really saved? Lord, help them to know that if they put their trust in you, if they believe in you, it doesn't matter what they did yesterday or the day before or the day before or the year before. It doesn't matter how much sin they've committed. If they're here today and their trust is in you, no matter how many times they fall, help them to know, Jesus, that you will pick them back up every time. Help them to know that they are your secure treasure. Lord, for the students here who just are not of one heart and mind with you, you have your heart and mind for this world to rescue the lost, to love people, to live sacrificial, holy, set-apart lives. So many people here today may have their minds in completely different ways. Maybe they want to chase after sin. Maybe they want to chase after pleasure. Maybe they're thinking, I've lived the Christian life, but I want a taste of the world. Maybe they're thinking, man, I just want to do what I want to do right now. Or maybe they're just thinking, I, you know, I'm a good person. I do a lot of good things, but I don't really want to go out on a limb. I just want to live for myself right now. I want to be good on my own. God, help them not to be deceived. Give them one heart and one mind. I pray this youth group would be one that has one heart and one mind, that we will be the most loving and accepting and welcoming and just spirit-filled people in this area. God, give us a heart and passion for that, whether it's Sundays, Wednesdays, Fridays, or especially when we're out in our schools. God, I pray that you would help these students to understand that they need to be in the world, but not of it. Help them not to run away from the world. Help them to be in it and not of it. How can we do that, Jesus? We can only do it through your strength and your power. Help them, Lord. It's so hard to be a light in the darkness. God, give them the strength to do it. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Give them everything they need. God, your truth sanctifies us. Help us, God, to be students of the truth. I pray for every student here, if they are not reading their Bible, give them a hunger for the word of God. Give them a passion for it, and I pray they would encourage one another to go after it. We love you, God, and we ask this in your name. Amen.